Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. The easiest way to connect with us from right where you are is by downloading our free Real Life Community app from your app store. You can also find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. John uh, writes in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 today, he starts to write to the seven churches, and uh, let me pull up my notes here real quick. Uh, He writes to the seven churches, and these are, uh, before he gets to the kind of heavenly visions that you find in the rest of Revelation, we have this real practical message right up at the beginning of Revelation, where it's this real down-to-earth, it's these words to the very earthy body and blood kinds of churches that are living life and the faith out on the ground. And these, these first couple of chapters, or the second and third chapter of Revelation, are pretty accessible. We can read through them. There's not a lot of code language. You read them, you can kind of get an idea idea of what's going on in these churches and how it might apply to us uh, as well. It's a pretty straightforward thing before we get on into the heavenly visions. Um, pretty easily accessible, but seven churches. Why, why these seven churches? I've got a map, I think, um, on the slides here. Uh, if you want to look, at, I know it's really tiny, but this is kind of the area of Asia right here. All of Paul's missionary journeys are shown by the, by the red lines here. And all of the churches that have a little yellow dot next to them, that's the seven churches. There were lots of other churches in the world at this time. So what was special about these seven churches? There's lots of theories about that. Uh, But all of these seven churches... Uh, they all had some things in common. They were fairly important cities in the Roman Empire in the area of Asia. Uh, Ephesus was a capital city. Pergamum and Smyrna kind of had this like like they vied for the the right to be able to call the first to be able to be called the first city of Asia. Uh, and so they had some special kind of notoriety at the time. They were cities. They were all along what was known as the Roman Road. Do you remember this from the history classes? Uh, they They were spaced out about 30 or 40 miles each from each other along the area of the Roman road. And there were seven of them. This is our first chance in Revelation to recognize that numbers in Revelation very often aren't only numbers. Uh, Numbers very often also carry along some symbolic weight to them. They're not only symbols. There were seven churches. These were real churches and there were body of Christ, believer uh, communities in these uh, areas. So it's not some code where you're like seven doesn't really mean seven. There were seven churches, but they also meant something more. The number seven in the scriptures consistently is a number that communicates wholeness, perfection, completion, 
right? So this is seven. When you go all the way back to the creation days in Genesis, and, and it's the seven days of creation which symbolize that it is complete, that it is whole, that what God has done is not lacking anything else. And so the seven here, a lot of, most people will say that seven churches is John's sort of way or Jesus' way to say, I'm communicating not just to these seven churches, primarily I am to that, but also to the whole Christian church. So the seven churches here are representative of all the churches, not just, and we got to make a little, you know, uh, extrapolation here, but not just that existed then, but these messages are continually relevant to the church, universal in all of the ages of the church. So this is a part of what we're going to be Looking at today, uh, every one of these cities had a Roman court in it, uh, so they were all um, trying Christians at the time uh, and, and different kinds of things. There were Christians who were sentenced in these churches for being Christians, including maybe John himself uh, sentenced in one of these churches in one of these cities and exiled to, um, to Patmos. Now, uh, last week, one of the things, the verses that we talked about was from chapter one, where it said, blessed are those who hear these words read aloud and take them to heart. Now, we're not going to do this with the whole book of Revelation, but today, what I'd like to do with these seven churches messages is to have these words read aloud for us. Two full chapters of Revelation here in church this morning. That's, I know you woke up and you were like, I hope I get to hear two full chapters of Revelation read in church today. And so uh, we're going to do the best we can with it this morning. We've got some volunteer scripture readers who are going to come up this morning. And so if you are a volunteer uh, scripture reader, go ahead and come forward. And we're going to get set up. And while we're getting set up with them, in a moment, we're going to turn off all the lights so you can pay attention real closely to our readers. And they're going to have the scripture right here in front of them. Anna, you're the first one. Uh, she's on last minute duty this morning. We had a cancellation. So she's going to be over there. Uh, and so uh, they're going to step up and read these before they do. Um, let me hand Anna a mic. You guys can just hand this off when you're finished with it. Before they do, I want to give you uh, an idea from chapter one. John is uh, beginning to hear this uh, revelations, beginning to see some things, and he hears this voice coming from behind him. When he turns around, it's none other than Jesus himself, but Jesus looks glorified. Uh, John already starts to try and speak and communicate with some metaphor and, and just about everything that he says is so something was like this. It looked like this. And so it's, it's beyond words, but he turns around and he sees Jesus and Jesus is standing there walking among these seven lampstands, which we find later on represent the seven churches that we're going to hear addressed. Uh, by the way, the stained glass here is from a church in Brazil uh, representing each uh, one of each of the, of the churches there. So they'll be representing while they're reading. And Jesus is walking among the lampstands. That's important. And he's holding in his hand seven stars, which we find out later represent the seven angels 
of these churches. Jesus has got this, he's dressed in white, he's got this gold sash that goes around him. Uh, he's got a word that's coming out of his mouth that is like, get this, a double-edged sword. Try and picture that in your mind, a, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. His hair is white, his eyes are like fire, his face is glowing like the sun. And he says to John, write what you see, what is now and what is to come, and send this message to the seven churches. Now, let's black the lights out, and let's listen to the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and I have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Which Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the par- paradise of God. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, that they they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, 
and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, 
I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Thank you guys. That's the scripture uh, for us this morning. It's a lot to work through. A lot of uh, preachers, if they are going to preach uh, over this passage, they stretch the, the, those two chapters out into a, a whole series, right? There's a, a ton of stuff there. And we're going to unpack in a minute um, just some of the content from these letters to these churches, because I know that there's a lot. Uh, but again, one of the things that I want to do in all, this whole series is to approach Revelation and to say, how can we come to this word with open hearts? What is there in our heart that we can take into ourselves? So there's content for sure that we want to work on here and here. But one of the things that caught me in the heart as I'm reading through this section and imagining Jesus giving these words to the seven churches is actually what was written right before the letters to the seven churches was uh, the fact that Jesus is walking among these churches personally. Jesus is walking among the churches these churches, again, representative of the church. And so Jesus is walking here among us, not just on Sunday mornings, but among real life community as we're scattered around the middle Tennessee over the course of the week. Jesus himself is walking among the churches. And I don't know if you picked this up or not, but one of the things that, that stood out to me is that as Jesus is walking among the churches, he knows the reality of what's going on in these churches even more than what it appears is going on in these churches. Did you pick that up? There are a few of these churches that have a reputation for being something special, but Jesus knew something differently because he's intimately acquainted with the inner workings of what's going on in each church for all of time, everywhere in the world, this is his bride. And he knows her. He knows her. So Jesus, intimately uh, 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 familiar with and knows the reality of all these churches that he's walking among. Uh, so uh, I want to take those things to heart and remember that Jesus knows us especially. Now, if we could break down some content here for just a minute, as we read through these seven letters to the seven churches, which can you imagine, by the way, getting these letters, having them read aloud in your church and having a letter that's addressed to you, but also getting to hear the letters that were addressed to the other churches and knowing that the letter that was addressed to you is being read in the other churches as well. Can you imagine? Imagine one of these churches where Jesus is like, you're dead, wake up. And you're like, oh man, everybody's hearing that, you know, like, uh, so this is public kinds of letters that are sent. Now, uh, that said, I see three groupings of different kinds of churches that Jesus is addressing. He's got different kinds of addressing. There are two churches that land in universally good light. 
these churches uh, are in the good camp. They are the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. And in these two churches, the people who would look at them from the outside may say, these churches are struggling. These are churches that have endured persecution. They have fought against false teaching. They have dealt with poverty and struggling with physical possessions. So these are the poor churches. These are the churches that aren't on TV or, you know, the, they don't have an app or whatever. Like, uh, these are the churches that are real humble in nature. And yet, they are faithful and true to God. You know, God doesn't look at the appearances. We learn from uh, the story of Samuel going to find David in the Old Testament. God looks at the heart and God knows that the heart of these churches is true and faithful to him. And so he lets them know, hey, look, uh, I, I recognize that. I see you guys. I see your faithfulness. Smyrna, you're afflicted and, and dealing with deep poverty. And listen, he says this, it may get worse for you. Boy, that just kind of flies in the face of a lot of like gospel presentation stuff that we hear in our current culture. If something, somebody's struggling, we're like, well, God will fix that. God will heal that. It's going to be better. And Jesus comes to this church and says, it's really bad. Listen, it might get worse. Um, might get worse. Now, he says something else to them later on. We'll get to that. But just put that in your brain. Uh, stick that in the back pocket. Smyrna, poverty, it may get worse for them, but continue to be faithful, he says to him. Philadelphia, you have little strength. The, the world that you live in has worn you down. You're not big. Your membership roles aren't great. When you look at the, you know, the little sign on the front of the sanctuary, the numbers aren't like you know, making you click your heels together or whatever. But I get that. You have little strength, but you have stayed true. And you can almost see Jesus with a smile on his face as he's saying that bright, radiant face and the eyes of fire that are glowing in pride. For this church. You have stayed true. From an outside perspective, again, these churches aren't doing well, but the Lord doesn't look at the appearances. The Lord knows the reality of what's going on. So those are two churches where God doesn't have anything negative to say about them. Way to go, these two churches. We'll talk about their rewards later on. The next grouping is three churches, and it's a mixed bag for these churches. Ephesus, Pergamum, Theatera, uh, cultural assimilation and enduring persecution. These are the two themes. These churches, it's a mixed bag because they're wrestling. They're wrestling. And sometimes the enemy is getting the better hand in this wrestling match. There are times where the Nicolaitans or Jezebel get their foothold in. Or, and, you know, uh, Nicolaitans, probably some teacher that's teaching some false things named Nicholas. And Jezebel is a, a code word for some woman that everybody would have known about at the time that's leading people off into sexual immorality. And so we've got these issues of eating meat sacrificed to idols, which is something that we deal with on a daily basis, isn't it? Uh, I reckon right? Uh, okay, let's translate that for us today. The, the struggle of bowing down to false gods. And we may not have like little statues or whatever that we put on our, on our, uh, on our mantles, but, but we have the same kinds of things that call for our hearts and call for our attention and put the real God on a shelf and we go chase after all sorts of things. So it's still relevant. And Jezebel, is sexual immorality relevant, do you think, at all today? Uh, yeah, 
So these two things are things that we still wrestle with. And Jesus says, you're losing the battle on some of these. It's a wrestling match. Wrestle harder. Uh, You need to step up and stay faithful and stay true to what I'm calling you to of soul worship of the one true God and keeping yourselves pure sexually. Uh, within marriage. But so that's some of the cultural assimilation things with these churches are also, uh, several of these churches are dealing with persecution and some of them are doing a pretty good job of staying true. So these churches, they're, they're a mixed bag. There's some people who are staying faithful, some people who are messing up and following false teaching. It's a mixed bag, but at least they're wrestling, right? If you're wrestling, at least there's some life in you. At least there's some fighting. At least somebody cares something about what's going on. And so it's a mixed bag. There's some things that are good. Some things are negative. And then because you get into the third grouping and the third grouping is all negative. They are in critical condition. Sardis and Laodicea, it is a mess for these churches. And now we might think that if Jesus was going to come after a, a couple of churches and call them out for all the bad stuff, it would be the immorality and the following after false gods and the false teaching and the, you know, not standing up to persecution or whatever it is. Jesus, though, when he comes to these churches, he can't find a pulse. That's the problem. There's no pulse. There's no heartbeat in the church. It's not that necessarily they're off doing a whole bunch of bad things. In fact, one of these churches has a great reputation. Uh, And Jesus says, that's fine. You've got this great reputation, but you are dead. Your heart is not beating. Wake up. There is no room for a church that's sleepwalking through this spiritual battle that we're going through. You've got to wake up. And then he gets to the last one. And and he talks to them and he says, listen, I know about you, Laodicea, you are lukewarm. This is almost the worst thing in the world for Jesus. I could deal with you if you were cold. We could deal with that. I could deal with you if you were hot. But the reality is you have grown comfortable in your own, listen church, wealth and prosperity. And you've gotten comfortable. And you've stopped coming after me for the things that really do give life. And you've just kind of sat down and you've become complacent. These last two churches here. um, Man, if there was ever a message that the church in our culture today and in America needs to hear, I would say these get pretty close to it. I mean, we need to hear all of them. But how tempting is it for us to say, we kind of got all the bases covered. We know how to do all these things. We have all the resources that we need. We're, we're good to go. And then f- forget to or just stop going and seeking after the things of life that God gives to us. So a couple churches in really good shape, a couple that are wrestling, failing sometimes, winning sometimes, and two that are in critical condition. Some of this, uh, some of these words are hard to hear for these churches. They're hard to hear for us. We hear these words and we think, man, are we winning in that? Are we uh, failing in this? What would Jesus say to us if he showed up today and was walking among us, which he is? As we go through it today, there are places we need to hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us. But we also need to remember what Jesus says at the end of chapter three, that the hardest words that are spoken to even the most difficult church are spoken in love 
with the desire and the hope that that church would ultimately be ready for the wedding day when it comes. Jesus says in chapter 3, verse 19, right after he talks to Laodicea, who he says, I could spit you out of my mouth, you're lukewarm. It's just terrible. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. You guys know this. Those of you who've had kids that, that grow up, man, if you love them, do you just let them go play in the street? You know, when, when in, in oncoming traffic or when they do something like that, that's going to be a danger to their life. Some of your parents are like, yeah, sometimes uh, when they're doing something that's a danger to their life, do you rebuke them and call them back into a safe place where their life can flourish? Of course you do. If you have a marriage and you want to fight for it and you want it to be good and you've got this little festering issue, do you ignore it and let it go? Or do you go after it and bring it up and call each other out on your junk from time to time because you love one another? Those we love, really love, and see a future with, we'll call it out. It's got to be better. If we didn't care, we'd let it go. Or if we didn't see a future with somebody, or if we were planning on walking away at some point, we'd just let it go. We wouldn't bother with it. It's going to be too much trouble. But Jesus sees a future with all of these churches. He knows there's a wedding day. This is his bride. He's promised himself to them. He's making a place for them right now. So he wants to see them succeed. He wants to see them do well. He wants to see us in the same light to be sanctified through and through, holy, set apart to God, ready and waiting for him when he returns. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. If Jesus didn't care, he'd let them go and he'd move on. But he holds out hope for each church because here's the thing, from wherever these churches are or wherever we are or wherever each one of us individually is, there is a path from where you are to life. There is a path from where you are to life. For every individual, for every church. And there is a reward for those who would be faithful from where you are moving forward by the grace of God. There is a reward. Jesus calls out a reward for every one of these churches. Not just some of them, not just the churches that are going well. He says, listen, even for those of you who are lukewarm and a mess or dead and asleep, if you will do this, if you'll come and buy your food and your drink from me and your clothing from me, if you will, if you will stay true, if you'll reject these false teachers, if you'll do the things that are faithful, there are rewards in each case. For Ephesus, you will have the right to eat from the tree of life, which hasn't been available, guys, since the fall in Genesis. Smyrna, Smyrna, that church where he said it could get worse for you. He says you will not be hurt by the second death. So there is a death and we all deal with that. But there is also a second death, a judgment. And he says, if you'll remain faithful, Smyrna, there's an eternal kind of life that's available to you. You don't have to worry about that one, right? Pergamum, 
There is hidden manna. There's a white stone with a new name on it. Thyatira, authority over the nations. You will be given the morning star, which is Jesus himself. Sardis, which was in critical condition. If you will stay faithful or be faithful, you'll be dressed in white and have your name written in the book of life forever. Philadelphia, I will make you a pillar in the temple of God and write God's own name on you. Laodicea, you will have an invitation to buy gold and clothes and salve from from Jesus and come to life in these ways. And here is the kicker. Here's what makes all this possible, especially for Laodiceans right there at the end uh, as they're getting rebuked. But really it ties up this whole thing. What makes all of these rewards possible is Jesus stands at the door to each one of them. Knocking. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone Here's my voice and opens the door. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus, if we will open the door to him, he will come in and make his own home in our community, in our body, in our own lives, our hearts and bring life that is so necessary for us that stretches on into eternity. Guys, can we close up today? Um, just with singing. Uh, can I have the band come forward? Uh, we're going to sing a song this morning that's a song of repentance, really. It's a song called We Will Run. And it's a chance for the church collectively to say, uh, whether it's a mixed bag or we're in critical condition, we know that we don't have everything together all the time. And so, God, we... I want to lift up to you the areas that we've fallen short and ask for your mercy and your grace and throw the door open and invite you to come in. Guys, maybe that includes us collectively. And when you sing these words, it's, God, would you hear us as real life community? We want to be a church that makes you proud, that makes your eyes light up with joy when you think about us and walk among us and talk about us. That's our desire. Maybe it's individually too. There's something in your life, some false teaching you've been nursing, some immorality, some sin, some habit, some practice that's destructive, some, some lukewarm, lackadaisical, lack of heartbeat kind of faith. Repent. Repent. Jesus is standing at the door to your life today. Don't leave here without making that right with God. Would you stand? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for walking among us today. Thank you for the Son and the Spirit. Uh, God, we pray that in this last song you would hear our prayers, that you would cleanse us and purify us and make your bride ready. In the name of Jesus, let's sing.